Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Welcome back to the program again this week. I trust you've been uh, tuning in at the same time every week. Last week, uh, we began to share some things uh, between my son and I uh, from the book of Judges. And as you know, if you've been following our ministry, is that we've been doing a series on the book of Judges for some time. I don't have revelation on every one of these judges. Uh, there are some of them that they're only mentioned, so there's really not a lot to unpack with them. But I think as a general rule, we've kind of unpacked some pretty good stuff concerning the books of uh, the book of Judges. The key thought has been, though, from uh, how it is a shift from the book of Joshua, and then the book of Judges comes on the scene. The book of Joshua opens by saying, Now Moses, my servant, is dead, and arise now Joshua and take this people in. And so the book of Joshua is about a shift from Moses to Joshua. Hebrew name Joshua is the Hebrew name Yeshua, the same name we call Jesus, Yeshua. So the book of Joshua is a picture of moving from Moses, law, to grace, Joshua. Moses brought them out with a rod, and Joshua brings them in with a mercy seat. When you move to the book of Judges, it opens with the key to that book being the very first verse, now after the death of Joshua. And so what our whole theme has been is what happens after the death of of Jesus. What did the death of Jesus exact? And I've got my son on the program with me. My oldest son, Jeremy, is uh, a ministry in his own right, and much of what I have shared, as at least the inspiration of it, has come from conversations that I had with him several years ago. So he's a guest on the program today, and I want to welcome him because thank you for joining me, and it's good to have you on the program. And last week we began to kind of really get, I thought some things were really, really helpful to people who've been watching as far as dealing with how to apply the finished work. Because, you know, it's like you, you were saying, uh, you know, it's easy to have the victory on the mountain. It's not so easy when you're in the valley. So it's good to have you on. I'll let you jump in there and we'll, uh, we'll continue this conversation a little bit. But be here. I was, uh, you know, even like when we, we were sitting here and I was just kind of gathering some thoughts on, you know, the book of Joshua or, or the book of Judges. There was one of them, his name was, I believe it was Jephthah. Yeah. And he was the son of a harlot. Mm -hmm. And his father, you know, his father was raising him at one time, but then his father had other what they would call legitimate children. And Jephthah got rejected and they, they drove him away from the family until the family began to face some things that they couldn't overcome. Mm -hmm. And so they go to get Jephthah, and they tell him, you know, well, if you will come back and help us, we will make you the captain of our household. And even the things that Jephthah comes back to fight are things that even during the time of Moses that was dispossessed or dealt with, that come back to, they had to, they had to deal with these things again because they allowed it back into their mm -hmm. land. You know, what I was thinking as we were sitting here, because we had talked a little bit last week even about how, you know, we go through the valley and, you know, there, there's victory. We, 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 we sometimes have the victory on the, on the mountain, but we don't know how to have the victory sometimes when we go through things. And I was thinking, you know, with this man, Jephthah, just began to kind of trigger some of that is that he was rejected at one time. You know, I think about, you know, when you look at New Covenant stuff, 
there are times that, you know, many people feel like they've been rejected or disqualified because things haven't always been taught the correct way. Mm-hmm. You know, really showing people what the the true resurrection and the true redemption of Jesus, what true forgiveness looks like in Christ. And so there are a lot of those that feel like they've been rejected by stuff and driven out from the church even at times. Whereas I believe God is wanting to show us that there's a bringing back of some th- some people that have been felt like they've been rejected. Mm-hmm. And God's bringing them back and showing them that I haven't rejected you. As a matter of fact, I want to restore you back to a fullness and back to a place that you can have everything I said you can have as well. You know, and sometimes it takes, you know, this like a man named Jephthah that shows us that even though we might have been rejected at one time, that God finds a way to bring us back into a place of redemption and back into a place of right standing with him. Mm-hmm. And so when you see, you know, so when we were talking about these judges being a picture, even of the apostles and, and that time of transition that they were in, that there are things that God is trying to show us through the patterns of scripture. We can go back, you know, I, I, we say all the time, there are many things in the Bible that are not necessarily written to us, but they are written for us. Mm-hmm. And the things that are new covenant, there are still old covenant patterns to show us what the fullness of that looks like, you know. And so when I, you know, when I began to teach the book of Joshua, when I was teaching the book of Judges, I was showing the, I was trying to see the parallels between what was happening there to what is happening in the days that we're living in or in this, this time of what Christ has really given us and set us free from. And one of the things I believe God is wanting to set people free from is rejection. Yeah. A feeling like they're, they're, they're rejected or they're cast away or they're not, they're not worthy. And I think God is beginning to send some people out to bring back the rejected and saying, we're not going to reject you. Matter of fact, we're going to bring you back and restore full status to you as well. You know, cause that's what Christ does. He, he redeems. Redemption means to put it back into the place yeah. that it was in the beginning. And that, you know, you see this pattern with just this man named Jephthah, how God goes out to get the people that are once rejected. Yeah. That didn't seem like they were worthy or in the right, didn't even seem like their, their, their life, their past was right or whatever. And God begins to bring them back into a pattern of redemption and restoring back to them the fullness of who God is in their life. Yeah. Well, you, you look at, uh, I was thinking while you were saying that, of all the down through the scriptures, it seemed like you know, the, Jesus, or the Word of God declares that not many wise, not many noble are called. So that puts us in pretty good qualification. But when you think back and you start to see that every one of these men were flawed with human weakness, even when you look back at the heroes of faith, and, you know, when you were talking a few minutes ago, one of the thoughts we've shared, too, as well, is that there was 12 judges uh, that, you know, when after the death of, of Joshua, uh, he hands, really, the administration over to 12 judges in the New Covenant. After the death of Jesus, he hands it over to 12 apostles. But when you start looking at the Apostle Paul, I mean, he was a killer. The man was a terrorist. He was absolutely persecuting them of the way. you got Peter, who was... You know, these guys that he called that were fishermen were fishermen because they couldn't make the cut to to reach, to be chosen by a rabbi. What people don't really realize is what an honor it would be because like, you know, like our, like their, their, their culture was like uh, everybody went through like the, what would be our primary school and the best of the best went on to like intermediate, but then the best of the best were chosen by rabbis. So these guys were like, 
out fishing. So they weren't, they were the rejects. They were not the top of the class. They were the last ones picked on the baseball field or whatever it is. And so when the rabbi says, follow me, I always thought, what would it, what would it, you know, why would you just up and just drop everything? But you, you realize the honor that it would have been for a rabbi to choose you. And he chose a lot of times the rejects, the people that struggled. And I look sometimes and think God just seems to love the underdog. And, you know, and sometimes I think sometimes we underestimate the power of God that's in sometimes the people we don't really recognize. And so, you know, I think that's really a, a, a valid point to make there. Even you look at like what God does, you know, how even the people, even today, that God chooses in many ways, you know, it's because it's supposed to show that it's not by your might nor your power, but it's by his spirit. You know, I, I, my, you know, one of the testimonies I've given throughout my life is that, you know, when I was, I struggled in school for the longest time because I had dyslexia, you know, and dyslexia is where you, you know, you have a hard time reading things or backwards and, you know, and, and feeling like, you know, when I was in school, like I struggled, I struggled in school until, uh, there was a real encounter of the Holy Spirit in my life at one time that really began to change. And, you know, to look at it now and think, you know, I would have a hard time reading because words become jumbled when I read, you know, and then to be able to stand up in front of people and read the Bible to them, and then not only be able to read the Bible, but to be able to comprehend and teach the Bible through that, that it shows that this God chooses these people that sometimes have weakness or that sometimes, like I said, like we've started the program with, that sometimes might feel like, man, I've been rejected or I'm disqualified. God takes those and shows that it's not by might, it's not by power, it's by my spirit. Like you said with Pete, uh, with Paul, Paul, you know, he, he gives his testimony and it would have been a great testimony for those of the Jewish synagogue. You know, I, I said at the feet of Gamaliel, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the tribe of Benjamin. Just touching the law, I was blameless. But he looks at that in this, in this context and says, but those things would have disqualified me. From being a true minister of the gospel. Yeah. I count that as dumb that I might obtain Christ, you know. And so you see the things that sometimes were that makes us feel like maybe we're rejected or maybe we're disqualified, maybe we're not, you know, worthy to be. Those are really a lot of times the things that God chooses to show off just how good he is. You know, it's not always the strong, you know, David was not the strong and the tallest of all his brothers. He wasn't, you know, considered the least of his brother's household. Yet that's who God chose to anoint as king, you know, and then all the different stories of how God would choose those things that we yeah. think are not the best of the best. But he takes what seems like be lowly sometimes and makes that the best. Or maybe not even legitimate, like you said about Jephthah, but even David, when he came for the lineup. I mean, he didn't even make the first cut. He wasn't even included his daddy. He didn't even put him in the lineup the first time. And maybe even the second time, if I'm not mistaken. But the prophet said, do you have any other kids? And history tells us that, uh, that Jesse, David's father, wasn't really sure that David was his baby. And so this really gave legitimacy to David that he was not illegitimate. Just like Jephthah, God would raise up someone who they thought was not worthy. And, you know, one, you know, a couple of times that I've seen some of the, you know, you remember back youth camp, uh, I, I guess I could mention his, mention his name, but one of the most incredible prophetic gifts I've ever seen was a kid named Dave who was mentally challenged. And I remember one year that, you know, we were having youth camp and there was really no breakthrough. And it was like, you know, so Dave, he was a worshiper, man. He worshiped till he was soaking. I mean, they rightly named him David because he danced and praised God with all of his might. He was mentally challenged. 
And he came up on the platform to take the microphone. At first, somebody was going to stop him. I said, no, let, let, let's, let him go. Let's see. I believe the Lord's in this. And so this guy started taking that microphone and prophesying, and without any filters, he was hitting it head before the night was over. That altar was full, and God just gave a tremendous, you know, and I've seen God use people that you wouldn't think, not many wise, not many noble, are called it. Even these judges, every single one of them, Gideon was a coward. You know, Samson had woman problems. Uh, Jephthah was the son of a harlot. Uh, Ehud was left-handed. Othniel was the younger brother of, of Caleb. And, uh, you know, on down through the list it goes of, and you see these ragtag band of people, you know. And I think even of my own parents that, you know, when my, you know, my, my mom and dad were called to preach, you know, and they had seven kids. And people would say to them, how are you going to preach the gospel of seven kids? You know, because it looked like it was a disqualifying thing, but they preached the gospel to seven kids. And them seven kids pretty much grew up to preach the gospel, several of them, you know, or if they're not preaching the gospel, they're at least supporting or helping in the gospel. And so you, 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 he doesn't call the rich sometimes, or he doesn't call the noble, he doesn't call the most educated, he calls the willing, you know. And, and let me, you know, just to put it in context too, being, when we talk about being called to ministry, it doesn't necessarily mean standing in a pulpit somewhere yeah, or having yeah. a great church. Yeah. It is being called to the ministry that God has placed you in. Sometimes, you know, and we've said before, my mom's ministry is, was not in the pulpit. Well, my mom's ministry was definitely being a mom and a housewife and taking care of the house. Yeah. That was her ministry. Yeah. I mean, there was many a times my mom would pray over us before we would leave for school or pray for us while we were going somewhere or anoint our tires or something. Uh, cars, yeah. You know, because she wanted to, you know, she was praying over where God would lead us. And, and you know, because I mean, I would tell you, even as a kid that grew up in church and was a good kid. There's still times of rebellion. There's still times you, you do you do dumb things because you're still trying to figure it out. You know, especially as you're in that transition from from kid to an adult and through the teenage years, there's a lot of dumb mistakes you make. You know, and my mom was praying for us to do that, but not only praying for us, but she would sit us down at times and sometimes give us the hard conversations of you know this is not what you're this is not who you are and this is not what you're supposed to be doing and you have you know and and reminding us. But that was my, like I said, it wasn't standing in a pulpit. That was my mom's ministry. But it was absolutely her ministry to be that mom because it's what caused us, her being that minister in that home, in that, that place of constantly reminding us, constantly praying over us, constantly, you know, like I said, sometimes my mom, my mom's quiet, but when she cares about something, she can also be a little spitfire over it. She's going to tell you exactly how she feels about it. But those sometimes those conversations are what kind of shock you out with some yeah. stuff and go, you know what, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to disappoint my mom or I, you know, mom, mom's saying something, I better listen. Yeah. You know, and bringing you out. But that ministry is what caused us, might have saved our lives in many times, or yeah. maybe even saved us from being, making huger mistakes yeah. than what we would have done, you know, and things. And so those are ministries. Yeah. You know, and I noticed how, I mean, there are times my mom would tell you she would feel rejected. She felt like she was the, the jephthah of many times, you know, but God really has brought her into a place that she has influence, even though she's never stood in, in a pulpit. She has had influence over nations and over, uh, you know, people even having their lives changed just simply because my mom was faithful. To what her ministry was, yeah. you know, and so I, you know, I just say that because I, you know, I know there's people that listen to us that are not necessarily pastors or ministers, 
But they, you know, and so I want to clarify the ministry is not always standing, but it's being faithful to what you are. And sometimes, you know, like I said, you you can feel rejected. You feel like the outcast, or you feel like, you know, maybe that's not worthy enough. But like I said, Jeff Tall, he was cast out. Yeah. You know, he was living actually in a foreign country because his family had cast him out. But when they began to face some things, they realized this is the guy that's going to actually get us out of that. You know, sometimes. You know, even like I say to mothers and fathers and those that that raise children, you know, sometimes they're going, they might go, they might be going through some stuff that they know only mom and dad can help me out of. You know, their prayers, their advice, their so being faithful, even as a minister of being a good mother and a father, that's a ministry that is valid. You know, because it might be the very thing that your kids need at the moment that you feel like, and it's easy as a parent because I'm a stay-at-home dad too, on top of ministry. But I'm mainly a stay-at-home dad. There's, there's times that you, you know, you're you're pouring into your kids and you feel like they don't like me. You know, they they don't want to listen to me. I don't even think I don't think they even like me half the time. You know, uh, but when push comes to shove, they know where to turn to in the time of trouble. They know when I need somebody to fight for me. When I need somebody to to be there for me. When I need something, I know who to... <laughs> the rejected one might be the one I come back and get, yeah, bring back yeah, and win yeah. the battle. So just being a faithful ministry of your of being a good mom and dad to your kids yep. is, is vital ministry. Yep. You know, I was thinking while you were saying that, she used to say, I, I feel like I'm the meanest mom on the hill. But she encourages people and parents all the time to say, speak to your kids. They may not like it, and they may act like they're not listening, but your voice carries a lot of weight. And sometimes we just don't speak into situations and we don't say things, you know, I mean, like I, I'm not talking about trying to run their lives or govern their lives, but speak into the situation because you've got probably more of a voice than you really recognize. And, you know, she, like I said, she, she would uh, at times, I can remember sometimes crying, uh, you know, uh, thinking I'm the worst mom ever. And uh, <laughs> especially with the youngest one, I probably shouldn't say that, but now he calls her on the phone all the time. And he said, mom, I need to apologize to you. She said, for what? He said, for all them years ago when I did this, because now I'm a dad and now I see what you're going through. And so, you know, those are the rewarding moments. And I think it was Jason, my youngest son that said to her one day, you know, mom, what, well, what's your dream? You know, Dad's living his dream. What, what's your dream? She said, "Well, this is my dream. I've always dreamed of being a housewife." I, yesterday, I did a live interview with a television network, and the guy asked me about my wife, and he said, "Does she ever on camera?" I said, "No, you can't get her in front of a camera." I said, "She's not much about the hype or being even seen in the front, but she is absolutely involved and a vital part of what goes on as far as administrative in our office." And just you know, she she says, "I'm living my dream." So it's like you know, everybody wants the spotlight. But, you know, even the ones that have the spotlight, it, the spotlight ain't what you think it is. You know, it never is what you think it is. So, you know, everybody has their own niche. You, you know, know? Bro, be, being a stay-at-home dad, I mean, that's really my full-time job. I do ministry and stuff. But maybe my full-time job is being a stay-at-home dad and take care of. And I worked construction for years before that. Like, that was never, being a stay-at-home dad was never a thought in my head that that's what I'm going to be. But as life happened, you know, I, I trained, it was just the smart thing for me to transition into that. And, you know, had it not been for what my mom poured into me, I would not be able to, to do what I'm doing and be successful at it mm-hmm. like I am. But it's because of what I've learned from my mom. And so, like I say, you know, I've learned, you know, in ministry, I have no doubt learned a lot of things from you and that and, and and the things I do in ministry is because of what I've seen and learned from you. 
But what I do in my home, a lot of times, have come because of the great influence of of, yeah. of mom, you know, and just her. Because, like I said, you know, you were uh, you were a great dad, and you you did you know you were always there when we need it and stuff. But you are also having to travel a lot, and there was a lot of times that you weren't there, so yeah. we had to have. Mom, so mom was the one that was the primary one taking care of us and, and influencing us in many times. And so, uh, you know, so in ministry, I'm very much have learned stuff from you, but being able to keep the house like and, and, and keep a home running and keeping everybody sane, happy, clothed, fed, all those things that have greatly come from what my mom has instilled into me, you know. And so there is great value. So, you know, like I said, you know, we, we take ministry and we put different ministries on different pedestals and think, well, this one's greater than this one or this one has greater value than this one, not realizing sometimes the things that we don't think are the greatest value or, again, that have been rejected. Yeah. Sometimes those things are the greatest value that we might not have seen. You know, when I was growing up, I knew I was called to ministry, and so I didn't always see the great value of what my mom was instilling into me. But as my life has transitioned and turned and changed to things that I didn't necessarily understand, I it is I've looked back now and said, well, there's been a lot of great influence and a lot of value of what my mom had instilled into us, just simply being that she was true to her calling yeah. of being a good mom and a good state, you know, and a, and a good housewife, you know. And so I you know, so again I go back to say that, you know, what your ministry is might not be standing in a pulpit, but what your what your heart is might very well be your ministry and just staying in that and being yeah. exactly what you need. And it might not seem like the greatest thing at, at, at moments. You know, like I said, there's many times my kids, I feel like, you know, I think they hate me. They love their mom, but man, I don't, you know, <laughs> I've always had to be the bad guy, you know. Um, but, you know, I look and see, you know, well, that's how sometimes we we felt about mom. You know, she's always a bad guy. She's always been telling us, no, we can't do that or this and that. But you having grown up now and seeing, I see some of the greatest value of what's been instilled. And so, you know, what you your ministry at the moment might not seem like the greatest or the yeah. most value, but sometimes it's those things that are the greatest value. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I was thinking, you know, uh, part of the theme that I shared in that message uh, on January the 1st was uh, I was thinking about Mary being entrusted and Joseph being entrusted to raise the Son of God. Can you imagine what it would be like to be the mother of God? Yeah. I mean, and so the question the Lord asked me is, could I trust you with my baby? And, and so, you know, we think about that in terms of, you know, the responsibility that there would be with you know, with Mary and with Joseph to raise Jesus. I mean, God entrusted them with raising His Son. And so you think about, well, you know, that would be, a, you know, a really heavy weight. But when I think about it, you know, uh, we've all been trust entrusted with because the seed of God that is in our children. Are, we're, we're, we're raising world changers. And I, I would imagine that there was crises of faith in their household. History says that Joseph died before Jesus was crucified. I would ask questions like, why didn't you heal your father? Or, you know, I mean, those are things that are legitimate. Uh, I think about, you know, uh, uh, the angel of the Lord warns Joseph, take the young child, go to Egypt until the death of Herod. But I think about all the mothers who lost their children, who didn't take them to Egypt. I think about John the Baptist, who was in prison, who says to his disciples, I mean, he having stood in the River Jordan and declared, here's the Lamb of God, he's now in prison saying, go ask him, are you the one? Yeah. 
Or should we look for another? And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you who are not offended in me. And so there are moments of crises of faith, but we are still somewhat nurturing and managing and raising the seed of God that is within us. And I talked about that song, What If God Was One Of Us? It's an old rock and roll song or pop song. And, uh, and my, 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 my thought was, what if God is all of us? In other words, there, uh, he's, he's, in the, he's in the homeless man. He's in the, the young child. Can we nurture that seed? Can I trust you with my baby type thing? And when I, you look at your children, you think that way. Probably the most noble ministry on the planet is exactly what you're doing as a stay-at-home dad. Is what you're, you know, doing as a, you know, uh, as a parent or a, a mother that might be watching who feels like uh, I'm, I'm trapped in this repetitive cycle. It's almost like Groundhog Day. It's the same old, same old. But there's a ministry that's flowing from that, and you know, even just how you treat people. You know, when you start realizing if God was one of us, if He's the stranger on the street, if He's the, how would you treat it? You know, and it shifts how you think about people, even who are broken. So, so as my wife was telling me, she read a study somewhere that was talking about even the value of setting down at the table as a family to eat a meal. You know, that we are we we live in a culture where it's constantly running back and forth, and we've got this and we've got this program going on. But how much more value there is just to sit down at the dinner table with your family and talk about the day? Yeah, but sometimes at that dinner table is where people really really begin to open up one another. You know, like we're, we're passing with our kids from one place to another, and we're not really getting to, how was your day? What happened today? Sometimes sitting down as a family together, sitting in a meal, even if it's not just, you know, they're sharing something deep, but maybe just sharing some laughs in the value of sitting down as a yep. family and having a meal together is more valuable than sometimes even the after-school activities yep. and things like that. And so... You know, we, we sometimes, like I said, we sometimes uh, put down the family like that's not as valuable as the ministry you have or this and that. But you, like you said, we're really raising, we're really re- raising the seed of God and the things that are able to change the world. And we should put some real value. You know, we're, again, we're talking about the rejection of things. Sometimes the family has been rejected. Yeah. And sometimes we don't realize that's the most powerful thing that really gets us the victories when we begin to really put yeah. importance on the value of family. And that has been probably the breakdown of society is the deterioration of the, the family and the home. And I think, it, you know, you need to lay down the cell phone with the dinner table, especially, and say, let's be in the moment here, you know, because sometimes we get so distracted with stuff. And I've really tried even to you know, because there's so many people that are always asking me questions or whatever. So I'm just not, I don't feel obligated to answer every, everything, every minute of the day to where it's taking time from the people. I usually try to do that whenever, you know, I'm either doing my office time or I'm on the road by myself to, so it doesn't take time away from the family because, you know, those, those are moments that are important. And you don't really realize how fast they go by. The first thing you know, man, you snap your fingers. It's really hard for me to wrap my head around the fact that you guys are in your 40s. I think of myself as being that old. Well, we're out of time, but just, you just know that you're, you're important where you're at. Uh, if you'd like to sow a seed into the ministry, the easiest way to do it is go to our website. There's a place there where you can give through the PayPal portal. You can send a check or money order to the number that'll come on or to the address on the screen, or you can call the number on the screen, and you can sow seed through that over the phone. God bless you. Thanks for joining us. I am excited to announce the release of my latest book titled The Great I Am. 
In this book, we will explore the seven times in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I am. When he uses that phrase, it is always in contrast to something from the Old Covenant. For instance, they thought Moses and the law was the door into the sheepfold, but Jesus said to them, I am the door. They thought that Israel was the true vine, but Jesus said to them, I am the vine, you are the branches. As you read the pages of this book, you will discover that Jesus removed the covenant of death and replaced it with the covenant of life. Get your copy of the book, The Great I Am, today.